I've had the privilege to know Brad, had the privilege to play ball with Brad. And even in those early years, to see the faith lived out in him is truly amazing. And so to hear the cry of a faithful servant, someone that says, I want to know the Father's love more than anything in this life. I pray that encourages us this morning. I pray that we are people that want to know the Father's love so much that it will testify to this world. And I think Brad has done that. I think that his life testifies his faithfulness to the Father and to know his love. And so an amazing testimony. I know it's online, share it. It's just an amazing testimony that glorifies who God is and the life that Brad lived. And so transitioning, trying to transition into the scripture this morning, it fits so well when we think about the love of God in Advent this season as we reflect on love, love that came down for us so that the Father would be glorified. And so let's turn with me. We're going to dive right into it. If you would, to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And we'll work our way through this passage, hitting on some key points that hopefully will allow us to see God is love. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so this morning, I want us to start in a place that maybe is not familiar to you when you think of love. And I want to start with the Trinity. No, bear with me. I know and I realize that the Trinity is something that is infallible, yet it's unmistakably mentioned in Scripture and confirmed in Scripture. And so I think for us to truly understand God is love, to understand perfect love, we have to understand the Trinity. And I think that we as Christians will continue to explore that throughout our life. And I love what Jonathan Edwards says, and he says this, after studying this topic extensively, he says, I think the doctrine of Trinity to be the highest and deepest of all divine mysteries, still notwithstanding anything that I have said or conceived about it. And so what I want to say to you is, is I want you to understand this, That in Scripture, we know that it is true that God exists as three in one. We need to land there. 
Even the deepest or the most respectable theologians could not fathom the Trinity of God, but they knew the reality and the truth that God existed three in one. And so we must reconcile that. We must reconcile that in our mind. We have to go beyond our human comprehension and rely on the Scripture and the Word that teaches us this and that teaches that it's true. And then we will understand the fullness of God, right? The fullness of who He is. And so the Scripture is clear. I just want to read a few Scriptures over you about this theology. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. John 10, 30 and 33 says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews answered, and listen what they answered. They said, for good works we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a human, make yourself out to be God. They wanted to stone him because he says, me and the Father are one. They're saying, you're making yourself out to be God. That's why we're stoned, not because of your good deeds. And the 1 Corinthians 3.16 shows that the Father and the Spirit are one. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Romans 8 verse 9 says that the Spirit and Son are one. It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then in John 14, verse 16, 18, and 23, demonstrates that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. The Bible is clear this morning. I want you to see that. I want you to see that the Bible is clear, that there is only one God, yet He exists and has always existed in a Trinitarian person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 1, 1, in the beginning, the Word, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so to de- deny or to misunderstand the Trinity is to deny or misunderstand the very nature of God. So if we misunderstand or if we do not believe in the Trinity, we, we don't understand the true nature of God. And what is the true nature of God? If we were to round it up, I think if we took a survey, most people would say the true nature of who God is, is love. He is love. He didn't create love. He didn't create us and then go, wait, I need to somehow love these people and then create this way of loving them. He is love. God is love. And that is the very nature of who he is. And so we can't misunderstand the Trinity because within the Trinity, there is a perfect love, a perfect love fellowship, perfect relationship. And so what do I mean by this? What I think I mean is it's very, it is very, very significant that the Trinity has an implication not only for believers on how they think about God, but how they relate to God and how they relate to people. Here's that understanding. It's not only how we how we relate to God, but it's how we relate to people. This is why it's so significant and why we must understand the beauty of the fellowship of the Trinity. And so God explains this from all eternity past throughout Scripture that God is one in three beings and that they, these three experience perfect fellowship. 
So let me simplify it for you. God has never been alone. God has never been alone. But he has always been satisfied in the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. John Piper says this to try to explain it. He says, from all eternity before creation, the one reality that has always existed is God. That is the great mystery because it is so hard for us to think about God having absolute no beginning and just being there forever and ever and ever without anything or anyone making him there. Just absolute reality that every one of us has to reckon with whether we, are, we like it or not. But this ever-living God has not been alone. He has, been a solitary, he has not been the solitary center of his conscience. There has always been another who has been, this, who has been with God in essence and glory and yet distinct in personhood so that they have had personal relationships for all eternity. So God enjoys perfect love, perfect fellowship within the Trinity. And so the bridge of the Trinity and perfect love, the bridge between God as three in one and perfect love it's not based, it's based on this flawless model. It's not, it is based on a flawless model of the Trinity. And so I want us to understand God's design for us, for man being a relational being. Man was created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And he gave man the ability to have self-awareness, to have a clear perception of who God has created him to be, created you to be. He's given us the ability, the ability to think rational. He's given us the, beauty, the ability to recognize and appreciate beauty. He's given us the ability to acquire wisdom. He's given us the ability to feel emotion. He's given us the ability to understand morality. But the most significant aspect of the image of God, the Imago Dei, is seen in the man's capacity to love others this is the most significant in all that god has given you in all that he's given you in these abilities the most precious gift that god has given us is that ability to love others and though only a shadow only a shadow human love both for god and for others is a reflection of the perfect inner Trinitarian love. This is a reflection of that. And that has characterized God from the beginning of time. And so the bridge between Trinity and perfect love is found in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The bridge is the Holy Spirit. He's the bridge. He's the bridge between the Trinity and perfect love. And it says no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is perfect love. This is the believer's claim to faith. 
our claim to faith is that no one has seen God the Father at any time. And Jesus is no longer here to manifest himself through works and through miracles. He's no longer here to serve others, to love others, to make disciples. So our claim to faith is and must be that we want to love others so that God will be seen through our love for one another. We want to be that reflection. We need to be that reflection. And so when we love one another, God will be on display. I want you to understand that, church. When we love one another, God will be put on display. And it will testify that He abides in us and that we have been perfected in His love. This is love. This is what John's trying to teach the church. He's saying, be the church that loves one another so that God will be put on display and the world will see His perfect love and not what we on ourselves think that we can do and we can achieve. But it's what He's already achieved within the perfect love of the Trinity. So check this out. The unseen God, this is it, check it out. The unseen God thus reveals himself through the visible love of believers. What a privilege. I want you to consider your privilege. Consider it. Consider the unseen God uses you and I to display his love to the world so that they will see it. What a privilege. What a privilege. So let me break down this love. Love, it was oriented in God. It was originated in God, the Trinity. It was manifested in the Son. So it was manifested in the Son, and now it is demonstrated through His people by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is demonstrated through His people. This is the crescendo this is the crescendo of John's letter when he says, I want you to know the Father's love. Earlier he talks about the Father and the Son and the love and what that meant. And now he gets to verse 12 and he puts it all together. He says, the Father loved you so much that he created you and he wanted to be in relation with you. And in our failures, he sent his Son. He manifested love through his Son. And now you have the privilege to demonstrate that love to the world. Wow. Wow. What a privilege, church. What a privilege. So by knowing and understanding each role of the Trinity, we can understand perfect love. We can understand it. I want to read a few more scriptures to you. John 13 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men, hear that, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how all men will know. John 15, 12, this is my covenant, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Romans 12, 1, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference. Romans 13, 8. 
owe nothing to anyone except love. Except love. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled it. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom to an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Did you hear that? He's given us freedom. We have freedom in Christ. And the first thing that he says Use that freedom to love one another. Use that freedom to express the perfect love of the Father. Don't use it for selfish gain. Use it to love the Father. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Are we doing that, church? Are we stimulating one another in love? Are we encouraging one another? I pray that we are. 1 Peter 1, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for the sincere love of the brothers. Fervently love one another from the heart. Love from the heart. And 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers sin. And it allows us to see how the Father sees us. I'm pretty sure we know and understand if you don't, God's love covered a multitude of sins. And so when we look to one another, we look with eyes of forgiveness. We look at eyes of, with grace and mercy, knowing that our brother has sinned, but we want to love them so that they, they come to know the Father. Now look with me at verse 13. As John continues back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. So by this we know. By this we know that love has been perfected in us, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we are the people that are indwelled by the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love, the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So in summary, what John is saying here is that we will increasingly love the way God loves if we abide in God and God abides in us, that we will continue to increase in our love for one another. Love for one another, the church, and then love for those outside the church. We will increase that our perfect love is directional. It's a directional love that we know and we understand that when we put our hands to the plow, that we don't look back. And we know that the ground is tougher in spots, And we know that it's softer in spots. But we press on. We look forward. Philippians 3, I love it. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 16. Let's just sit here for a minute and and hear Paul's heart. It says in verse 7, it says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. All things, wealth, health, it doesn't matter. I consider them all lost. Suffering, 
I want to know Christ. I consider them gain. And it says, For who I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. In verse 9 it says, And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, as many that are perfect, those who have the Spirit of God in them, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. The standard which you have obtained is love. God loved you. Live by that standard. You have been made perfect in Christ. You have been made perfect, church. Love has been perfected in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of God's gracious love, he justified us by our faith. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have obtained perfect love. Let us be those who put it on display. Verse 17, going back to 1 John, chapter 4. Verse 17 This is the believer's confidence. Listen to what John writes. He says, By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Father, he is a liar. Us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that we love, that, that the one who loves God should love his brothers also. By this, by the power of of the Holy Spirit in us, love is perfected with us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Meaning that when Christ returns, we can stand in boldness before him knowing that we have been made perfect in love. In verse 17 and 18, John declares that we believers should have a great confidence and should not fear for the day of judgment. And so why can we stand? Why can we stand in such confidence. Look at the end of verse 17. Look what he says. He says, because as he is, so also are we in the world. 
so also are we. What a stunning statement. What a stunning statement. That the Father treats the saints, the believers, as He treats His Son. And he does this because he's clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's clothed the faithful servants with his righteousness and he has empowered them with the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can stand. That someday, believers, we will stand before God's throne confidently. That our Lord, just as confident as our Lord and Savior stands before God now. That is love, church. That is love. And then we will see the fulfillment of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to what he says. He says, we believers, we the believers, know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We will be like him, church. We'll be like him. Let's look at verse 19 and 21 as we kind of wrap this up and see what it means to love this world as God has first loved us. Look at verse 19. It says, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So why did we deserve this love? And how do we love like God? We didn't deserve this love. But because of God's mercy and grace, he's lavished his love upon us, upon his creation. And so how do we love like God? church how do we love like God I think we learn through the eyes of Christ I think we look at love manifested here on earth when we look at our perfect example of love then we can be the perfect example to the world we can display that because of the Holy Spirit in us and I don't want you to to shortchange that I want you to believe that and understand that God has made us perfect in him And so we need to see through the eyes of Christ. We need to see that there is no distinction amongst people. There is no distinction. We don't look at their social background, their their ethnicity. We, We don't look at any of that. We look at their heart like Christ looked at our heart. We also learn that there are no prerequisites to their to our relationship with them right? That when we go into a relationship, that we're not looking to what we can gain. Christ didn't do that. Christ didn't see what he could gain by being befriending and loving someone. And sometimes, and a lot of times, the world teaches us that. What can I get out of this relationship? What can I gain from this relationship? That is not love. Love is saying, I don't care about anything in your background. I want to show you, I want to display perfect love to you as Christ has done that to me. There is no selfish gain in love. 
So this Advent, as we continue to seek this deeper understanding of love, I pray, I pray that it leads us to a deeper desire for evangelism, a deeper desire to proclaim the glorious return of the King. Glorious return of the King. And that we are not ashamed, we are not ashamed, but that we put on God's love, that we put on God's love and that we display it to a world that needs to see love perfected in the church. We want them to look in on what we have and say, I want that. We want them to see us united in love, love that came down and that died on a cross and that raised up again so that we can have life. And we want them to ask and seek, what is this love you have? And I want us to be confident in it to tell them. Be confident that God has perfected you. He's gifted you. Don't ever say you're not an evangelist. That's not my gifting. God has given you a story. If you've been redeemed, if you've trusted in Christ, you have a story, you have a part to play in the gospel, and I want you to share that. I want you to share that. Let me pray. Father, God, even though it's difficult sometimes to wrap our minds around the idea of the Trinity, Father, we know that in Scripture it is so clear, it is so clear that you exist in three different persons, and it's perfect. And because of this perfect fellowship that you have in the Trinity, we can experience the same love as relational beings that you have created us to be. And so, Father, I pray that we understand your nature, that you've come to love us as the church, that you've given your Son to manifest love perfectly so that we could learn how to love, that we could demonstrate it to this world that needs to see love. Father, empower us with your spirit to be a mobile church, not one that sits in this room, keeps our faith enclosed by these doors, but that we burst out of here eagerly awaiting to put your love on display. We love you and we thank you that you first loved us. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.